New ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Michael Hanlein. He's a professor of marketing at ESCP Business School in Paris and holds the chair for responsible research and marketing at the University of Liverpool Management School. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. A few months ago, I had an interview with the chief content officer of Ypulse, and we discussed the TikTok juggernaut. And after that interview, I really started to think about how young consumers, especially Gen Z, is interacting with social media and how it seemed to me to show a shift not only in where they were engaging, but what social media itself looked like. And so I started to ask around to see if I could talk to anyone who actively studied this stuff in an academic setting. And the people at the International Journal of Research Marketing pointed me in your direction. So the first thing I think we should get out of the way is the speed at which things are changing and what that means in the context of academic research and how those two timelines line up. I think one key problem is that they don't. Uh, <laughs> right. I mean, I think it's a general problem that they have never really well lined up because to give to give a sense, publishing an article in, in an academic journal can take anything between two and six, seven, eight, ten years, what? while managerial problems usually have a lifetime of six months to 24 months. So I think there was never really a time where it lined up perfectly. Mm. But the social media space is even worse because just technically new tools come up, trends shift, and simply the time of, if you look at something like TikTok, TikTok has been around from a consumer perspective. It feels like an ancient social media. Mm. I personally use it for, I think, two hours every day for the past two years. But there's no academic research yet on it simply because it would take a very long time to conceptualize study, run them in a certain way, and then get them published. So it's a it's a real problem. So if we're seeing exponential change and having peer-reviewed assessment of what it all means is going to be difficult, and when it arrives, it's going to be out of date and maybe abstracted to a level where it's hard to recognize what the sort of practical on-the-ground action items would be, what should a marketing practitioner do? How should they, in order to make decisions that are based not just on gut, but have some basis, how should they go about thinking about it? I, I think there is a, a responsibility from marketing academics and from practitioners. I think from the academic side, at least that has always been my personal views for the past nearly two decades that I'm in academia is, I think we sometimes need to have the courage to make an educated guess. So while I, while let's say my published work deals with mobile games and with Instagram and, and social media, I still think I'm able to make an educated guess about TikTok and Twitch and the metaverse, which are topics I'm working on right now, either based on my experience or based on the studies that we are currently running. And if you look at what is available online for a marketing executive, I think People look online anyway, they go on Google and look for stuff, and they will come over a blog of a random person, probably an educated guest from an academic working in the area is at least as valuable as the blog of a random lead. Well, I would, I would think so. I would rather actually the educated guests of an academic, and which is wonderful because that's pretty much what today's conversation is going to be. It is a lot of educated guesses, but you're probably the better 
best, I would say, place person to make some of these guesses. So the first thing, when we had our pre-interview conversation, you distilled the evolution of social media so elegantly that I want you to articulate it again, please. Could you do that? Sure. I think if you look at social media and and probably... I'm using specific sites and applications for illustration, although although it's more generalizable. The first way for the first generation of social media, and let's look for Facebook, for example, as an example. The main purpose of these tools was to take offline relationships and move them online. So the main idea of Facebook was essentially that you connect online with people you already know offline. So mm-hmm. the structure of friends that you have on Facebook is, at least it was at the beginning, very, very similar to the structure of friends that people had in their real lives. And hence, in a certain way for firms, it was pretty easy to use because if you had a lot of connections on Facebook, you probably also had a lot of friends who are a popular person in real life. Mm -hmm. And so we could simply use the number of connections to define who is an influencer, who is not an influencer, or probably even when you post a lot of stuff about food or travel or fashion, you probably are knowledgeable about food, travel, fashion. And it was very easy for companies at that point to identify opinion leaders and for those opinion leaders also to share what at this time was always perceived as authentic content. Mm-hmm. And then came, let's say, the second generation, which is, let's say, the world of Instagram. Mm-hmm. And the big change that happened between the Facebook and the Instagram, between the first and the second wave, is that people discovered that being an influencer can be a career. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> It is actually, if you look at it, and in one of our research papers, we looked into it, it's actually a much less attractive career than what many people think. Because if you really count the hours and the amount of effort that needs to go into it and the equipment and the team that you need, it, it's a career like any other, but it's not... Gets it's not easy money. It's not just no. hanging out and talking into your phone, right? No, it's actually, and that's what people often forget. It means getting up at five to set up your tripod to get that picture of the sunrise where you have your coffee that looks like you just fell out of bed, just that it was three hours earlier that you fell out of bed between all the preparations. You fell out of bed into the darkness. Yes. Okay. And because people discovered that being an influencer can be a career option, people started to behave strategically on Instagram. And you see that in every possible way. People started to post not content that they like, but content that they think other people will like. People connected to other users, not because they knew them or because they found them particularly interesting, but because they were hoping they connect back to them. And all of this has led to a lot of strategic behavior that has totally biased the space and made it really, really hard for companies to navigate. If now you want to decide which influencer you want to work with on Instagram, you need to use a whole multitude of criteria. How many followers does the person have? When do those followers go online? Where are they geographically located? Right. And well, don't if, just, yeah. can I ask a quick question? Yeah. I was always under the impression that people are always image managing though, aren't they? And in some ways it just magnified that level of image I, management. I mean, even I, in your I, own I, little hometown, you know, how you dress, who you hang out with, where you are, you're, this is who I am. This is the tribe I belong to, but it's just kind of putting it on Instagram. <laughs> I think it puts it a bit on steroids in a certain way, because yeah. you're, I mean, you're right. We, we Most people probably, first of all, decide in the morning kind of carefully how they dress. I mean, which is a part of image management. Right. And I don't know, even in the 60s, when people took pictures of themselves or had pictures of themselves taken, they probably paid attention of looking good and probably being in front of a nice background. Right. But I think what Instagram has led to is that people 
do these things. Or for example, another thing, pick the perfect moment of the day to take the selfie and not the moment where you are sad or depressed or anxious or stressed. Right. They combined it with quite heavy and significant picture processing. And that can be really subtle, just running it through a Photoshop in order to adjust the colors. But it got really extreme to the point there was an influencer some years ago who had an entire account about luxury lifestyle, essentially flying in private jets, shopping at Louis Vuitton. And the entire positioning of this person was around, I'm a very wealthy and luxurious person. I'm living a luxurious lifestyle. And what came out after a couple of months was that this entire life was fake. <laughs> had essentially set up a, a green screen in his own living room. And the picture that he posted of sitting in a private jet was actually a picture of him sitting on a green blanket on his kitchen chair and then having everything else just automatically created through the green screen. Wow. And I think that has created a whole world of non-authentic content mm. that users got increasingly frustrated with and especially the younger generation got very, very frustrated. And that has now led to what we are currently in third generation which let's say is the world of TikTok or Twitch, which is live and which is much more authentic and much more genuine content than the things you would probably find on Instagram. Right. Well, it, it's interesting because what I found most interesting when we first talked about it was that transition from in offline, in real life relationships, translating that into digital, and then almost a digital primacy. Layered in to that, I'd like to dive in a little bit more deeply into is the shift into lean back. Now, this may not be so true with Twitch, but certainly with TikTok, it isn't social in quite the same way as, let's say, Facebook is. If you look at TikTok and YouTube, it's a slightly different type of I, social. I think YouTube is, for me, not really a social network. I would classify YouTube more as a content platform that probably fits closer into something like Spotify or even even Netflix to some extent. Except it's more user, it's more crowd generated. I mean, but if you look at how the young, this was part of this conversation with the Wipulse youth research firm, was that Gen Z is using TikTok as a go-to entertainment platform. So they're watching it. I mean, yes, a lot of them believe that they they are creators. They are creating for an audience as opposed to for their friends. They're making this for this audience. But they also are just watching other people's stuff. Yeah, there is. I think on TikTok, well, I, I can talk for me. I'm watching it a lot, although I'm not producing any content. So yes, I think there is a sizable share of the user base of TikTok who consumes it like, like they consume Netflix and where essentially this artificial intelligence-based feed of extremely adapted content that makes everything appear very, very relevant to your current interests mm. becomes nearly an addictive stream of always new shots of experience that range between 30 seconds and three minutes. And it's curated for you. Your stream yes, is so... Incredibly personalized, yeah. So... So let's back up then. What are the ways in which TikTok is truly unique? That that it so there's this curation, but YouTube curates. Is it different? Their level of curation is different from YouTube. I think the the difference between TikTok and and YouTube or even Instagram, in my view, there are two main differences. One is the very very powerful content selection tool, artificial intelligence based content selection tool TikTok relies on. Okay. TikTok is very, very good in 
after a couple of hours of you using it, judging what you're interested in based on how fast you scroll to a new video, based on how you engage with a, with a certain video. And after having used TikTok for 10, 20 hours, the content feed is entirely personalized to your interests. And this is done in a way that is better than any other platform that I know. It's, it's amazing how well personalized and adapted that content is. Could and, it, could it, yeah. it, so it's responsive to you. Do you think it could shape you and move you? I mean, well, it does try to shape and move you in the sense that because you could argue if it's adapted to your needs after, I don't know, 50 hours of watching it, it knows exactly what you want and it just feeds you the type of content that you want. But that would then become boring and non-engaging. So what TikTok also does is occasionally it feeds you a video that is exactly opposite to the type of content or it just tries out something new. You may watch TikTok for for tens of hours and always see the same kind of content and suddenly somebody shows you a uh, a cooking video or a crafting video or a video of how to grow plants. And in this sense, I think it can shape you because if you engage with this content, which may be new to you, but which you may be interested in, your shift, your, your feed will slowly shift to show you more and more content of that time. Okay. So you've said two differences. We have the content selection tool. That's one. What was the second one? The second one is about how users use TikTok to produce content, those who do produce content. Because Instagram has become to a certain extent, slightly non-authentic because people use so much Photoshop and, and editing tools so that these pictures very, very often look, I don't want to say fake, but they don't look authentic. Right. While TikTok has more or less two entirely different sets of content types. There's type one that is highly choreographed and standardized content. Like, for example, a big trend that came up just around Christmas, probably some know the Netflix show Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And in Wednesday, there is a, a dancing scene. Mm-hmm. And the Wednesday dance became a viral trend on TikTok in December, where people try to copy as well as possible these specific dance moves that are shown in the Netflix show. I so see. the content is non-authentic, but it is so clearly non-authentic that nobody could even doubt it was supposed to be authentic. Right. And then there's this other half of content that is entirely authentic. Literally, people... I mean, there are tons of videos where people use the screen of their phone as a mirror when they put on makeup and talk to the phone, and that's a TikTok with 200,000 views. Or people who get up in the morning, watch TikTok, have a reaction, and just switch on the camera, talk into their phone, react to a TikTok without any consideration of how they are dressed, how their hair looks like, whether they have makeup or not. And the community really, really holds very strongly to this native and authentic content. When TikTok, for example, some some months ago, wanted to switch on a beauty filter by default that sort of evens out your skin tone and whitens your teeth a little bit, people got very, very upset because they said, that's not what I want. I want to look like I look like because that's my authentic self that I want to post online. Right, right. Well, you know, one of the things that we said or that you told me during our pre-interview was that you would rather give someone total access to your email than your TikTok feed. Any day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and because you think you really feel it is that it's it's revealing of, of a two of a true sense of an individual. Yeah, I was I mean, I'll give you an example because I wanted to test this out before before our meeting today. I'm currently teaching a class and I asked my students whether they would be comfortable to give me their phone. I'm not touching any pictures. I'm not doing I'm not reading any messages. I'm just watching one hour their TikTok feed and none of them was willing to give me their phone. That's fascinating. 
Oh, that's really interesting. 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 Well, okay. Now I'm going to bring it over to marketing for a second. If I'm a marketer and I want to bring my brand through TikTok, it seems like potentially it it would be hyper segmented, personalized because my brand video is only going to show up for those people. But is it going to be, is it going to be possible for me to be authentic given the platform? I mean, really, truly? You really, really, as a marketer, I think we need to First of all, get rid of the beliefs of our generation. I mean, I'm <laughs> okay. Well, that's already. I'm already there. Yeah, situationship. What's that? I don't know. I'm all. I'm way too old. None of it makes sense. But so I, I know nothing. So I toss everything I know out. So what do I have to bring in? So, for example, I give you. I give you one example. The two of us. For us, there's probably a really big difference between the friends that we have in real life, like those we go brunch with and and who we consider as physical friends, who who we have ever seen as a person, and the friends in parentheses that we have online. And probably we may not even have friends that we only have online. And in case you would have like a chat buddy on Instagram or something of that kind, it would be clearly a different category than your real friends. Right, right. For a 22-year-old, this is not true. There can the, the intensity of relationships that people can develop on has nothing to do with the physicality of that relationship. People can be on Twitch for four or five hours every day and talk with a group of people and meet that same group of people for hours every day for five days a week and consider these people as really close friends. They ask for advice. They share problems with, although never having seen these people in real life and never having any intention of ever seeing them in real life. Yeah, I see. I got the old I got the old person vibe going here. I'm like, yeah, but they're not your real friends, because if well, but if something happens, they can't come help you physically. There are some TikTok stories where, for example, people post on TikTok a story because they are in distress. I'll give you another example. There was a a TikTok of a homeless person who posted just uh, in December because he had a phone and he wanted to post a TikTok and he just said, listen, I just want to create some awareness how it is to be homeless in, I think it was in Toronto in winter, but it's really cold and really snowy. And I don't want to complain. I don't want you to donate. I just want to get you a sense how hard it is. Uh-huh. And within 24 hours, people found out the location of where this park is by using the pictures or by mapping the TikTok to pictures on Google Maps. And people came in troves giving the guy food and soup and some people organized shelter for him. So I'm not really uh-huh. sure. If okay, the- so, well, that's in- that is interesting. And I also think that what's interesting there is that it taps into play and curiosity. I'm going to find like the mystery of finding the person. It There's a whole host of sort of why people engage, you know, how that taps in, into some of that. And okay. that can in all sorts of ways. For example, there are people on TikTok whose mission it is to take pictures and from, they don't know where they have been taken from. They don't know the country. They don't know the city. They know nothing about it. And just from the landscape, find out in which street this picture was taken. So they use Google images and they map it to how the shadows of the trees look like and whether the sign of the road is in a certain color because that indicates it's in this country or in that country. Or on another on another example, there are uh, is one person on TikTok who occasionally when somebody films something that is not right, like racist slurs or when somebody gets sexually harassed, that uses TikTok in order to identify the identity of people who did something wrong in order to then later communicate that to the police. So yeah. Oh, so, con- so consequences and, and not vigilantism, but well, you know, reporting. 
comfortable. Let's put it this way. Yeah. Oh, well, that's really that. That is interesting. So then, going back to marketing, you're a marketer. You have you're of a certain age, and you toss out all the things you think you know. You you need to understand that digital relationships are as valid as in real life relationships, not distinguishable. Specifically with regard to TikTok, how should you approach TikTok? I think. One way, if you want to approach TikTok as a marketer, first of all, you need to realize that TikTok is not just a short version of YouTube. You cannot recycle the same content that you already have, cut it into three-minute slices and put it on TikTok. That won't work? So it's not just not repositioning the aspect ratio? A TikTok is not a three-minute cut-down version of a YouTube video. A TikTok is entirely different. So the first thing that you Well, then, all right, before you go on there, then what makes a TikTok a TikTok? Are there elements? A TikTok becomes a TikTok because it's engaging, because it's authentic, because it's not just dumping content on people. And for example, if you go on on TikTok yourself and there is a certain number of sponsored posts on TikTok, it is much, much less than it is on Instagram, but there is a certain number. Hmm. You see that even today, there is a very, very high share of those that is just not very good because they (laughs) don't integrate very well into the overall content flow. Some are becoming very good to the point that if, TikTok wouldn't really note down in the little notes that it's sponsored content. You probably wouldn't even realize it's sponsored. So firms are clearly learning this, but firms had to go through a learning curve. Half a year ago, the share of really good TikToks was much, much less. How, so what are so are those TikToks that they're working with an influencer who's creating it, or are they just getting clever, their staff, at creating TikToks? I think both ways are possible. One thing, in any case, if you as a marketer want to use TikTok, My key recommendation is always you have to consume TikTok. So the key reason why I personally started to go on TikTok was not because I expected it to be a main source of my entertainment, but because I thought I need to understand how this platform works. And the only way how you can understand this is by being there yourself. So very practically, if you as a marketer plan to do a TikTok campaign in the next one, two, three months, today you should download TikTok and every day watch it for an hour. So you're not going to get the same, you won't be fed the same things as the Gen Z TikTok player, because we, as discussed, it's very curated, but you'll have a sense of the platform because everything within the platform lives within a certain kind of vibe. Is that a fair? Kind of. And also if something gets really viral, like coming back to the Wednesday Adams dance, Mm -hmm. even if you are not a millennial, TikTok would feed it to you at least once. It's next to impossible that there is a major trend that you wouldn't see because the personalized TikTok feed has a certain percentage of videos that are shown to you which provide new content. And one of these videos would certainly make it to your feed eventually. I see. So, you know, in other conversations I've had with business owners and book authors, we've talked about the importance of understanding culture in order to engage with audiences is kind of what you're talking about and getting outside of your bubble. That's a phrase that people use a lot. However, it sounds like TikTok, YouTube, a lot of these engines, recommendation engines are designed to put you in your bubble. So, so if I want to understand, I really do not, I'm a marketer, I'm going to download TikTok, I'm going to understand it, but I would actually really like to understand what my audience, the people I want to talk to, what they're interested in. How can I, how can I see that? Can I see that? I mean, first of all, you have to get a little bit rid of this idea in general, because there is not one thing that your audience sees. There can be five millennials, but if one is particularly interested in sports, this person would see very, very different TikToks than a person who is primarily interested in fashion. So there is not this. 
okay. content feed that the young people all see and that the elderly people or the, the not so young people don't see. So here's another question then for marketers. This is a debate that's gone on and on. Are demographics kind of a silly ham-handed way to look at things? I don't think that. I mean, I think you can use demographics and, and especially age in a very broad way. So for example, you can say the generation who is on Facebook tends to be older than the generation is on Instagram, tends to be older than the generation is on TikTok. And maybe those TikTok people tend to be about the same age than the people who are on Twitch. So I, I think okay. you can have the very broad waves that can explain it. So they but, tend to show up on this platform, but beyond that, you've got to be thinking differently. Is that yeah. what... Because I mean, because most of these demographics that we as marketers know, I mean, when, when I started to do marketing, as a very silly example, a key demographic that was used was age and gender. I mean, hmm. gender is nothing that you can use nowadays anymore. It's just too complicated. Right, right. <laughs> well, one of the other things, much like, well, social media, everything, it's moving fast, fast, fast. Now, when things are happening that fast, when everything is changing that much, you know, is a viral, the Wednesday dance, is that a cultural thing? Is culture bigger? Are there certain human things that marketers can understand that would help them navigate this constantly changing world a, a bit better? I mean, obviously, the platforms change, the tech changes, but our human behavior is more durable. Evolution's a little slower in terms of human behavior. So are there things that we should just understand about people that you, for instance, as an academic, you apply what you know about people and you cross it over technology and you can make some educated guesses? Are there things that people should keep in mind? I mean, I think for me, the key thing to understand, for example, about people is what I mentioned earlier, that there is no real difference in social relationships between offline and online. That's a very, very fundamental thing, for example. Okay. And another very fundamental thing is that people are really looking for authentic content and really do not like non-authentic content, which creates huge challenges for firms, not only in the space of, of influencer marketing. For example, you nowadays, if a firm makes any form of claim like that a cosmetics product is particularly environmentally friendly or that a clothing brand is particularly environmentally friendly, people will immediately check it. And if it is not true, you can be sure that within 72 hours... You're going to get dragged. <laughs> it's not going to be good. Yeah. Right. So we, I think these are very broad trends, the, the way how people see friendships and social relationships, the, the way how people see the world through the lens of authenticity versus nicely presented marketing content that hold very broadly for all of these platforms. But, but you're right. I mean, specific trends, they are much, much short-lived than they ever were. Something like the Wednesday dance can become from nothing to a major trend within three days and can be dead after two weeks. Right. So you also have to set up in terms of your organizational structure and your approvals on the marketing side, you need to be fast. And if you're not fast, you might as well forget it because you yeah. can't. You, you can, for example, not, but sometimes companies have to that the person who manages your social media needs to have pre-approved every single thing they post. It's simply not possible. You cannot pre-approve a tweet because sometimes right. you have to react so fast that even if your approval takes four hours, it may be too long. That's too late. That's too long. Right. Well, thank you so much. We've run through all of our time and it's been really, really fascinating. And I so appreciate everything that you've taken us through. It's really interesting stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. 
We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Knott and the voice who recorded our open. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience, thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.